Hey, it's Doug Bursch, and you're listening to another edition of the Fairly Spiritual Show. So on today's show, we're going to talk about Pentecost. No, not about hanging from the chandeliers or snake handling. We're going to look at why Pentecost is crucial for the church and crucial for you. Why it's different from salvation and why it's all about community. Yes, so often when we talk about Pentecostal phenomena or charismatic phenomena, we make it about the individual when really it's about the community of God. Stay tuned for a really fascinating show. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken by your word. Your Holy Spirit's leading me. You are my only one. You're the only one worth living for. So I'm. dreams with you. Ah, how's everyone doing? Let's all answer collectively. Are we all doing okay? Can we do such a thing? Can we act a... Excuse me. Uh, should I edit that out? No, I'm not going to. Can we all answer in one accord? Are we all doing okay? Or are we not doing so good? Uh, okay. So even if you're not doing good, uh, you're welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And if you're doing great, hey, we're glad you're here as well. Uh, so on today's show, we're going to talk about Pentecost. Uh, I'm a Pentecostal. I'm also a charismatic. Uh, some people like to define the difference between those. Uh, it's not about snake handling. Uh, I, I don't do that. Not about uh, hanging from the chandeliers. Uh, there's lots of misconceptions. By the way, you're welcome to the show, even if you don't agree with the theology I espouse. I hope we're welcome, right? If we all agree on everything, uh, we'd be very boring. But today I want to talk about Pentecost from the perspective of community. As you know, if you're a regular listener of the show, and why wouldn't you be, really? I mean, there's really no excuse. Uh, if you're a regular listener of the show, the last few weeks we've been going over my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. And what we're going to do is a podcast, a show for each chapter of the book. Now, you don't have to have read the book to understand what's going on. You don't have to have heard previous shows to be able to figure out what's going on today. Each show stands alone. But I really wanted to just give my listeners a free listen to what the book is all about because I'm excited about this content. And although the book isn't that big of a book, it's only, uh, what, like 230 pages. I'm holding it in my hands right now. It really goes into a lot of deep theology, but more just to spur conversation. And my goal is for people to take it wherever it is of interest for them. And uh, one of the chapters, and I think we're in chapter 9 here, is on uh, Pentecost. It's called United Through Pentecost. And uh, I'm very interested in how we talk about uh, spirit-filled living, spirit-led living, and I think there's a lot of misunderstandings when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit 
in the New Testament church. Specifically, uh, what's the deal with spirit baptism? Why is that needed? Why, what, what's the deal with the Pentecost itself, uh, Pentecost that happened in Acts 2? And then how do I engage that? Well, why is that important for me as a Christian? And we're not going to get into all those wars, you know, the wars about speaking in tongues and second works and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't want to get into that. Uh, but I do want to talk just theologically about what I see as an integral reason uh, that Pentecost happened or why the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. Because, because as you know, Pentecost was celebrated before the Spirit was poured out, right? So uh, I want to look at this in a little bit of detail here and uh, see what we get from this. And by the way, I'd love your feedback. You can always uh, email me at evergreenlifeatmac.com. That's evergreenlifeatmac.com. Or you can go to fairlyspiritual.org. That's fairlyspiritual.org. Or interact with me on Twitter. Yes, even on Twitter. My handle is fairlyspiritual. So I, I talked about this a while ago in uh, some previous shows. But uh, as we know, the Bible talks about humans being incredibly dangerous. We're powerful. Uh, people like to present a theology of humans being just the worthless gnat on the butt of a donkey, but that's not really what humans are, and that's not what the Bible says. The Bible presents humans as incredibly powerful, wonderfully made, and very dangerous. The first thing the Bible wants us to know is that humans are made in God's image. In the image of God, we are made. And when God makes humans, he says, very good. He makes us powerful. He gives us the ability to be fruitful, to multiply, to have dominion. And we know that humans are so powerful in that when we make the choice to rebel against God, God frustrates us. He puts limits on our fruitfulness. He basically puts death on us because now that we are like him, and that's what the scripture says, God says, now that they are like us, we need to put limits on humans. Now, we are not God and we are not gods, but we have this tremendous God-given capacity that now, living in our sinful state, living in our rebellious state, we're really dangerous. So God puts these curses on us that we uh, die so that we can't live forever and do forever damage. At least, you know, he restores that through the cross and we live forever with him uh, in eternity in heaven for those who receive Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But he, he puts these limits on us because we're dangerous. He puts limits on our fruitfulness that we can't be as fruitful in working the ground and we can't be as fruitful in our reproductiveness and he makes it harder for us to be fruitful because we're dangerous. And, and you see this image as well in the Tower of Babel, that humans come together and, and the city of Babel is being developed and the Tower of Babel is being developed and God looks at humans and he doesn't like it. He basically sees humans and says, these guys are going to get in a lot of trouble. By the way, I just turned God into some sort of mobster. These guys, well, he looks at us and he says, we have a problem here. In fact, uh, you look at this in Genesis, I think it's, yes, Genesis eleven six. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating this. This is what the scripture says. In Genesis eleven six. it says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. He's talking about the people of Babel. They are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. 
Now listen to that. I've heard preachers talk about, you know, without God, you can't do anything. But scripture says that God said of humans, look it, they are so dangerous and so powerful that nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them. And that's without God's help. That God made humans so powerful that in our rebellious state, as we're building the Tower of Babel, as we're working together against God's purposes, God says, these humans are dangerous. And as a result, God frustrates the language of people. And so that's the story. Uh, The reason there are different cultures and different languages, the Bible says, is because of God. God made it so we couldn't communicate to one another. God made it so there's different languages, there's different cultures, there's different groups. Because when we work together as sinful, rebellious humans, we do great damage to God, or God's plans on earth, great damage to earth, great damage to one another. That's the story of Babel. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, because Pentecost, in many ways, is the reverse of Babel. It's the reverse of Babel's curse. And it's pretty powerful when you look at it that way. Because if you look at Pentecost, what happens on the day of Pentecost? Everyone gathers together. And and first, let's just look at Pentecost a little bit. Because when you say Pentecost, I I have the book here. Can you hear the papers wrinkling here so you know it's official? This is around 105, page 105 in the Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a reluctant pastor, but uh, I'm just going to read something here. To fully appreciate the communal importance of Pentecost, we must understand why God chose the day of Pentecost to pour out the Holy Spirit on the New Testament church. Pentecost is the Greek name for the Feast of Weeks, known in the Hebrew as Shavuot. I I always pronounce that wrong. I look it up. I don't know if I say it right. Some people say Shavuot, Shavuot, but anyway, that's the Greek name. Uh, excuse me, not the Greek name, the Hebrew name. The term Pentecost, that's the Greek name, comes from the Greek word for 50, Pentecost, 50. Because the Feast of Weeks was to be celebrated seven weeks, the 50th day after the first day of Passover. So after the first day of Passover, they went seven weeks, 49 days, and then the day after that, which is the 50th day, the Pentecost, is when they celebrated Pentecost. So it's after Passover, right? You have Passover on the calendar, and then 50 days after Passover, you have Pentecost. The Old Testament speaks of the Feast of Weeks, or or of Pentecost, as the day the children of Israel celebrated the first fruit of the wheat harvest. And that's in Exodus 34, 22. However, this is the important thing uh, to understand of how they celebrated Pentecost during Jesus's time. And this is something we missed, and many Christians don't know this, And many don't understand this importance and why it's so crucial to realize why the Spirit was poured out on this specific day. Why Acts 2 is so important that the Holy Spirit was poured out on this 50th day, on the day of Pentecost. And let me read from the book. However, during the time of Jesus, the Jews celebrated the Feast of Weeks to commemorate the day God gave the law, or Torah, to the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai. The Israelites believed God gave the law to Israel 50 days after they celebrated their first Passover in Egypt. So let's follow this logic. This is really important to follow. It'll make so many things will make sense if you get this in your heart. So we have with Passover is when they're led out of Egypt, right? Their bondage in Egypt. So we have Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. 
So they get into the wilderness, and what's one of the problems? They're, they're let out of bondage and let out of slavery, and then they're in the wilderness, and they don't know how to live. And so the way uh, the Jews celebrated the giving of the law is the belief that 50 days after they were freed from Egypt, after Passover, Moses went up to the holy mountain, and he was given the law. So for them, on Pentecost... Pentecost was the celebrating of the giving of the law. So follow this in your mind, right? So on Passover, there was the celebrating of being set free from bondage, being delivered from captivity, being delivered from enslavement. Then they're set free, but now they're in the wilderness and they don't know how to live. And so on the day of Pentecost, what do they celebrate? The giving of the law. The law was to show them how to live. And so from the book, it says, the Israelites believed God gave the law to to Israel 50 days after they celebrated their first Passover in Egypt. To understand Pentecost, we need to look at the interplay between Passover and Pentecost in the Jewish calendar. On the first Passover, the Israelites marked the doorpost of their homes with the blood of an unblemished lamb. God originally commanded this act so that his final plague against Egypt would pass over the houses of the Israelites with the blood on their doorpost, thus sparing the lives of their firstborn sons. In response to this final plague, Pharaoh finally let the enslaved Israelites flee Egypt. Therefore, on subsequent Passovers, the Israelites celebrated the day when God freed them from their slavery in Egypt. On the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, the Israelites celebrated God giving them the law. Now, I'm reiterating this because this is crucial to understand this, and many Christians don't understand this corollary. Many pastors don't understand this corollary. Many theologians don't understand this. But the disciples understood this on the day of Pentecost that's talked about in Acts 2. So on the Feast of Weeks, on Pentecost, the Israelites celebrated God giving them the law. In the Passover, God freed the Israelites. In Pentecost... God showed the Israelites how to live in their newfound freedom. Passover was for freedom from bondage. Pentecost was for direction on how to live. In the Passover, the blood of the Lamb rescued them. In Pentecost, the Word of God led them. With this intricate connection between Passover and Pentecost, God chose the day of Pentecost to pour out the Holy Spirit upon the New Testament church. While gathering to honor the giving of the law, the disciples of Jesus received something far more powerful than written words. And so you have this idea where the disciples, they have been led out of bondage. So they had experienced a new Passover, right? A new Passover in Jesus, this new celebration. They celebrated Passover with Jesus and he gave it new meaning, right? This cup, this is the blood. This is my sacrifice for your sins. This bread is my body. They had a new understanding of Passover. Passover is now not the freedom from Egypt and bondage, but this new Passover, this new Easter understanding is what? Jesus Christ, the forgiver of our sins. Jesus Christ, the sacrifice for our sins, the sin offering, the one who takes away the sins of the world. So they are set free from their bondage. But Jesus says when he ascends to the Father, before you go out and minister, before you enter into your promised land, before you do anything next, wait. Wait, I have something to give you. 
I have the Holy Spirit to give you. And this is the same kind of thing as the Israelites in the wilderness. Wait before you enter the promised land. Wait before you start a new civilization, before you start your new rules and laws and regulations. I have something to do. And so Moses goes up to the holy mountain, and God gives Moses what? He gives Moses the Ten Commandments. He gives him the law. And the law shows the Israelites how to live. And that law is to be written on their hearts, but the law is to be, ca- to be passed down to each generation, right? It's not just for to be given once, but it's to be given again and again. So uh, Moses is supposed to bring it to the people, and the people are supposed to bring it to their kids and to their grandkids. And every generation is supposed to receive the law. It doesn't work that, well, just because my dad received the law, I don't have to worry about it. That every kid, every daughter, every son, every person had to receive the law. And that's how you live. God freed us from our bondage. That's our Passover. Pentecost is God now gave us the law to show us how to live. So here you have the disciples. You have this New Testament church. What's their Passover? Their Passover is Jesus Christ. That's our Passover, right? Jesus Christ, the perfect offering for our sins, the perfect covering for our sins. How do we live, though? Do we live by the law? Do we live by rules and regulations? No. So on that day when they're thinking about the law, when they're reading scriptures about the law, when they're they're being uh, good uh, Jewish practicers of Pentecost, they're still doing the rituals. The Holy Spirit is poured out. And here we have Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so you see that picture just as the the fire or the cloud would rest upon the tent of meetings where Moses would go into that tent or where the fire would rest upon the mountain and Moses would, would hear the words of God. Now that fire and that smoke rests upon every single person in the room. There is now no intermediary between us and God, no prophet between us and God, no Moses between us and God because Jesus Christ has made the way Every person can stand before God righteous and holy and blameless and therefore abide with God and abide with God's Spirit. Be in God's presence. In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. I will dwell with my people. And so the the picture is so clear and every disciple understood it. They understood that we don't live by the law now. We live by the Spirit. Now, it took some time to figure what that was all about, and there had to be other visions and dreams given to Peter, and there had to be confrontations between Paul and Peter and ways for the Spirit to reveal what that meant. But they were not to be led by the law anymore, but to be led by relationship and to be led by the Holy Spirit. Well, that's one amazing, powerful thing, and it's one of the reasons why I believe Uh, The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that every generation receives or every person receives, again, because just as the law was received by each individual 
in each generation. And it wasn't just because, well, my father received the law or because some dignitaries received the law, but each of us were responsible to receive the law. It's the same way when it comes to the Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ has freed me. I have my Passover. I have my Easter. I say yes to Jesus, and he has freed me from my sins. But there's this second thing. Now that I've been freed from bondage, it's okay. How do I live my life? And just as the Israelites uh, were given the choice, how do you live your life now that you've been freed from Egypt, freed from your bondage? Uh, Well, I live my life by loving the law and uh, reading the law and studying the law and living the law and living the words of God. How do I live my life? By yielding to the Holy Spirit, by welcoming the Holy Spirit, by saying, I completely yield to the fullness of the Holy Spirit in my life. And that just because my father did that doesn't mean that that works for me, or just because it happened to the disciples doesn't mean it works for me, because each man and each woman stands before God and has the privilege and the right and the opportunity to receive that baptism themselves. I can be saved, but I can still be wandering in the wilderness, not knowing where to go or how to live my life because I have not yielded to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's just one amazing aspect of Pentecost. But there's even another aspect of Pentecost, and this goes back to Babel, which I brought up before. The Tower of Babel is this place where humanity gathers together for wicked purposes, and so what does God do? God frustrates humanity and gives us separate languages and gives us separate cultures. Well, what is Pentecost? Pentecost is a reversal of Babel. Because we see in in Acts 2 that people begin to speak in tongues, and there's so much argument about the tongues here, and I don't want to get into all that, but here's something that happens for sure. That the tongue that they begin to speak in, whatever it is, that the people around them begin to hear the good works of God in their own language. Now, some people argue, they say, that each person was actually speaking the specific dialect. So they were speaking the tongue of that specific dialect. Other people believe they were speaking some sort of angelic tongue, and God translated that tongue into the ears of the hearers. I don't really care. The important issue is that whatever was happening, every person around them was hearing the good works of God in their own language. The Tower of Babel was about the good works of man. In Pentecost, it's about the good works of God. In the Tower of Babel, God frustrates the works of humanity. At Pentecost, God unites humanity so that together, baptized in the Holy Spirit, we begin to speak a language that reaches what? Every single people group on the face of the earth. We can work together. We can unite together. We can speak with one voice. We can work with one purpose to reach the rest of the people on the face of the earth. We can begin to fulfill the promise that God gave to Abraham, that he would make Abraham into a great people that would bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. That's what we see in Acts 2, 6 through 12. And at this sound, the sound of of the Spirit being poured out, multitudes came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. This is the opposite of Babel where they're confused and no one can come together. Now the Spirit of the Lord is speaking through the church to reach every language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? 
Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Prigia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language, our own tongues, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? You see, the disciples of Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in tongues that the various language groups present understood. Every language group began to hear the Spirit-filled church proclaim the mighty works of God, not the mighty works of man building our Tower of Babel, but the mighty works of of God. Not the mighty works of clever men and women, but the mighty works of God. Not the mighty works of foolish men and women, but the mighty works of God. And that's why the Spirit of the Lord was poured out. Not just for my own individual giftings, not just for my own individual charismatic uh, manifestations, but the Spirit of the Lord was poured out so that the church united could reach every single people group across the face of the earth that the Spirit of the Lord was poured out so that we could unite and reach every person with the good news of the gospel. At Babel, God divided humanity by frustrating our language. At Pentecost, God reached every language and united humanity through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. At Babel, God deterred rebellious humanity from uniting for wicked purposes. At Pentecost, God gave his redeemed united church the ability to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. This is from page 109 from my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. And I'd encourage you to pick up the book just for this chapter because you won't hear Pentecost talked about this way in many books, and I really believe that this is solid. Uh, I just believe it's solid, what I'm, what I'm presenting to you here. And it's a great way to understand why the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost and why we must com- confront the, f- the fact that we are to be Spirit-led, that it's not, well, I'm just not really into that Holy Spirit thing. And, and you can't just say, well, I'm just kind of a small P Pentecostal. I, you know, it's not a big deal to me. This is how it worked in the Old Testament. It was Passover was freedom from Egypt and freedom from bondage, and Pentecost was the giving of the law. In the New Testament, this is how it worked. Passover is Jesus Christ crucified for my sins, the resurrection, a sign that I have freedom through the cross. What is Pentecost? Pentecost is not living through the law, not living through regulations, not living through good words and principles, good sermons, even good scriptures to memorize. We don't live by good scriptural principles. We don't live by good messages and good podcasts and good sermons and good theological insights. We live based on the leading of the Holy Spirit that was poured out at Pentecost. And Pentecost is where we yield to the giving of the Spirit. Every person has the Spirit when they come to Christ but we have to yield to receive Pentecost. Just as everyone had the law when the law was given, the Pentecost was given once in Acts 2, but we have to receive our Pentecost. And just as the law was given once, every generation had to receive that law, or it just kind of sat on the shelf. It was just something people talked about. It's a powerful image. It's powerful. 
It's something each of us needs to look at. The relational implications, and I write this in it's page 109, the relational implications of the Spirit being poured out on Pentecost are deep and far-reaching. The Holy Spirit is the one Spirit that unites the one body of Christ. The Holy Spirit promised to every believer unites all believers, regardless of language, race, culture, or heritage. Just as the law was given to the children of Israel, the Spirit has been given to the New Testament church. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Christians are able to know and to do the will of God because all believers have access to the same Spirit. They can find meaningful and powerful ways to work together as a Spirit-filled community. That means we can't just work together by having agreed-upon theology. We work together because the Spirit of the Lord unites us. And that's why Paul says we don't live according to the law. We don't live according to the flesh. We live according to the Spirit. And he uses both the law and the flesh as the same thing in contrast to the Spirit. Uh, To live according to the law is death. To live according to the flesh is death. But to live according to the Spirit is life. You and I have been brought into relationship with God through the cross. The cross broke down the dividing wall of hostility. The cross brought us back to life. We were dead in our sins. We were in bondage. We were freed from our Egypt and brought out of that bondage into a wilderness. But we don't know how to live until we receive the leading of the Holy Spirit. How this all occurs the manifestations of the Spirit in our lives as we're led by the Spirit, there's a diversity of those things, and frankly, I'm not as concerned with that. I'm just concerned with the biblical expression, and it's so clear here. That parity is so clear between the Old and the New Testament, or that that parallelness is so clear, that they saw this. The disciples would have recognized this so clearly, that they believed the law was given 50 days after Passover. And just as Passover is freedom from bondage and Pentecost was the giving of the law, their new Passover was Jesus Christ crucified, the forgiveness of sins, and their new Pentecost is the Spirit being poured out, showing us how to live. So the question I have for you is, do you live based on the leading of the Holy Spirit, or do you live based on laws and rules and regulations? How do you live? Have you received your Pentecost? And the second question I have for you and for me as well, do you see the power, the community power of Pentecost? That Pentecost was poured out not so I can have my individual giftings or I can have my individual, wow, look at me, I can pray for people and special things happen or I got my special tongue or I got my special whatever I think my spiritual gift is. That Pentecost happened so that we could unite together and work together to reach the lost. That Pentecost happened, what, on Acts 2, it just shows you there. What's the purpose? They all began to speak in tongues for the purpose of sharing the good works or good deeds of God. For what purpose? To reach the lost so they could give their life to Jesus. That's the Pentecost that we make room for. Not so we can feel good, but so we can unite together to advance the purposes of God. Oh, there's so much more to talk about, but I'm I'm not, I'd I'd like to, Pastor and me would like to go another hour, but there's so much more in the book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. You can pick it up on Amazon. There's an audio version. There's a Kindle version. Uh, Go to amazon.com. You can search The Community of God by Doug Bursch. 
You can also go to my website, fairlyspiritual.org. I'll sign a personal copy for you, fairlyspiritual.org. Lord, I pray that you would help us to make room for your spirit, to learn how to be spirit-led, not weird, not goofy, but spirit-led. And Lord, help us to allow your spirit to unite us as one body that will reach those who are lost, that will unite as one body to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. I love you guys. Uh, You don't have to agree with everything. It's okay. I I get it that we have different theological backgrounds here, but I'd love for you to be able to look at this stuff and to check it out and to let it ruminate a little bit, okay? Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. Uh, This theme song is by my brother, Dan Bursch. He's got a few albums on iTunes. You can check him out there. Give him some love. I will see you next time. My dreams with you